Welcome to episode 15 of the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Glenn Smith. We've got another fantastic episode lined up for you, but let's take a moment to recap episode 14. Episode 14 started with race reports from mid-June 2019, previews for early to mid-July races, training tips from Coach Buddy, running routes in Baltimore City and Ocean City, Maryland, and an interview with Jeremy Ardenoy. Jeremy has been ripping it up on the local running scene over the past year, and he shared his running story from impulsively signing up for a marathon and bonking, then training hard and getting redemption the next year, and then blowing past all previous expectations to become one of the area's fastest marathoners. Our interview for this episode is with Megan DiGregorio. Megan has been very prominent on the local running scene for over a decade as a runner, a race director, and in the fitness industry. Megan has come on to share highlights from her career thus far, the struggles she has faced and worked to overcome, and her goals for the next stage in her running career. This candid conversation sheds a lot of light on one of Baltimore's leading runners. I know that you'll enjoy this one. We'll hear from Megan a bit later, but first, let's get things started with some race reports. Back in episode 10, David Flack shared his goals and expectations for the 2019 National Senior Games. And now he's back on to tell us how it went. David, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So what was your experience like, uh, you know, being part of the opening ceremonies there at the National Senior Games? That seems like a pretty neat experience, like the Olympics. Uh, That's exactly what it was like just for people uh, 50 and older. and a lot less games, but there were about 14,000 athletes from every state, plus Canada, Sweden, and Barbados, and I think Yugoslavia or, or Slovakia or something like that. Um, but it was amazing. The opening ceremonies was amazing. Um, they uh, they brought up Catherine Switzer as one of the speakers, and she was an amazing motivational uh, speaker just had everybody just glued to what she had to say. Yeah, that's fantastic. When I heard she was going to be there, uh, you know, that, that had to be pretty neat. Uh, you know, only person to ever have her number at the Boston marathon, uh, you know, retired. They don't give that one out anymore. And uh, she was competing in these games as well. Wasn't she? Yeah. She competed in the, in the 5k. Uh, my only goal, my own, my goal, other than not to be dead last was I had to beat Catherine Switzer. And so, you <laughs> achieved that, didn't you? I did. I, I, I did get to beat Catherine, which was pretty cool. And I got to meet with her and talk with her. So it was, uh, you know, it's amazing that she's still as active as she is, uh, at 70. Yeah, and still a, a pretty good runner at the same point. So how did the 5K go for you? Uh, I will say this. As a person who has never really run at altitude, altitude is hard. Um, it You don't realize how – I mean, the, Albuquerque is 5,000 feet above sea level, so just about a mile up, so around the same height as Denver. Uh, and it's hard. You don't realize – how out of breath you get uh, until you're like a mile and a half into a 5K and you can't, you just can't catch your breath. You have to slow down. 
I heard it from so many runners faster than me, slower than me, same speed as me. We all, that second mile in the 5K, everybody just kind of said, wow, this is just really, really hard. I don't, we, none of us really knew what it was like, except for those that live at altitude, I guess. Sure. And yeah, I've definitely run, uh, not in a race format, but, you know, running in Salt Lake, it's about the same altitude. And, uh, you know, especially those first few days, uh, any kind of running is, is pretty challenging, but yeah. you made it through and, you know, you, your time was pretty respectable. Uh, um, so, but yeah, I ran a 27 54, I think. So I was all right with it. Nine minutes a mile thereabouts. <laughs> Yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, and then you had a little time uh, between the 5K and the 10K a few days later. Um, you know, how'd you spend that time? Uh, so the 5K was a Friday. Uh, I got into Albuquerque on Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Uh, and then Thursday, I did a little course preview of the 5K route. 5K was Saturday. And then I, after the 5K, I went to uh albuquerque's old town which is exactly what it sounds like i guess it's um they have a whole section of their of the town that hasn't been built up it's while not the original buildings it's built the same way as it was in the 1800s uh so they have a lot of shops and they have a few uh few restaurants uh and i think the oldest church in Albuquerque was there, so I went and went in there, and then uh, walked back to my hotel, which was only a mile away, and then relaxed for most of the rest of that day. And then Thursday, I met some friends from Maryland, and we did a course preview of the 10K, and then we went to the highest place in Albuquerque called Sandia Peak, which is 10,125 feet uh above sea level and the views are spectacular yeah i can imagine uh you know elevated that far over the city you probably got a pretty good panoramic view there uh having not spent much time out west i think i was most shocked by how few clouds there are in those dry areas and yeah. therefore how far you can see yes i mean it, it is uh it's it's flat but high i mean albuquerque's not that hilly um but you know again it's five thousand feet up but when you get up to the top it's just like a breath of fresh air and it's uh it was just amazing amazing views we met some mountain bikers who had biked there are a couple of trails you can bike up in a ski area on the other side of the peak and you can bike up them and then bike down them so they it took them a few hours to bike up then they were eating lunch and then they were biking back down. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds like you got a pretty good vacation out of it. Uh, you know, get to go to a new place and you had some time to uh, acclimate to the conditions there in Albuquerque. So then you had the 10 K uh, and then go on Sunday of that weekend. Uh, yes. How'd that one go for you? Uh, that one was better. I was a little more acclimated to uh, the altitude. So the first, half the first the first 5k was exactly one minute faster than i ran the 5k two days prior um 
but like a lot of other people, still have a 5K to go, and the altitude still got to me around, I guess, four to five, and then I got angry between five. Was angry that I that I slowed down, not as much as I did, but just that it just kind of hit me after the 5K part. And uh, then I got angry and kind of closed in a much faster time and just wished I could have closed, could have ran what I closed for the last 5K because then I might have finished a little higher. I finished 11th out of 12th in the 10K out of 12. And I finished, and that one was 56, 16. And um, so I was happy with the, with the time. Uh, I was very happy with the time. That's about what I run. Well, not on, on hilly 10K courses. So it, it was, it was about where I thought I'd be, and but it was amazing uh, to kind of run in this Olympic style race where everybody's trying. You don't have a lot of people that aren't uh, giving it a shot. You know, doing their best. They qualified. They got there. They get to run. Yeah, that is a pretty uh, unique experience. You go out to a local race, and some people are in it just for fun, and others are racing. Uh, you know, here you're going to have everybody racing. Everybody's worked towards that. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, what was the most uh, special thing about your experience uh, there at the senior games? So the really cool thing was uh, at my hotel, I had uh, decided I wanted to take uh, to, to just relax in the pool. And there was a family there. They weren't participating in the games. They were actually doing some schoolwork, uh, re rebuilding or building up some schools on some Indian reservations. And um, they were splashing around in the pool. They're, they had, And it was a lot. Of, it was like five kids, a mom, a dad, an aunt, a grandmother. I mean, it was just a ton of people. They were all splashing the pool. They weren't, you know, I, I wasn't bothering them. They weren't bothering me. Uh, and a couple of their kids kind of splashed me, and they were like, "Don't splash the man." And they were wondering what I was doing there. And uh, so I started telling them I was participating uh, in the national senior games, and that uh, the events are free if they have some free time, because there are a ton of events from volleyball to basketball, shuffleboard, archery. Uh, think of what else there was. Um, table tennis, uh, triathlon, all kinds of different events that are free and open were free and open to the public. Um, but when I was talking to them about my experiences of running the 5K and looking forward to running the 10K, it was like I was talking to a captive audience. The whole family just kind of jumped in the pool and was were listening like. Their eyes were like wide, like this is just an amazing thing. We need to go check this out. And I saw them the next day uh, as I was checking out. And they said it, they went to go see archery at the Balloon Fiesta Fields. And they said it was amazing to watch these people. They really were just blown away by how competitive it was. Yeah, that, that's really cool that you got to be an ambassador for the event there. And uh I must say, uh, after our conversation a few weeks ago, I've definitely 
been uh, talking with some running friends, uh, you know, at, at my group runs, and I think you might have a, a little more competition, uh, you know, in the Maryland group in the future. I think there's a few more folks who uh, might want to try. So with that in mind and with time to reflect on the experience, do you think you're going to try to qualify for the 2021 games and uh, and go back? I would love to. Yeah, I will actually age up. So I will be in the 55 age group, um, which is a little more. They're a little more. The numbers are a little higher in that age group. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I, I expect that there will be people that have now found out about it. And we'll be looking to where are the Maryland uh senior olympic games for the 5k and the 10k and uh we'll be trying to qualify and go to, it's in fort lauderdale in 2021 and go to fort lauderdale but yes i would i would love to go and compete again in the games what was interesting and i will say this is that the mindset of all of these athletes regardless of age whether they were 50 or 103 which there was a 103-year-old woman, uh, Julia Hawkins, who's been on the news because she's 103 and runs, sets world records for 50 and 100-meter dashes. Um, the mindset is they can still do what they did when they were younger, but they accept what their body will let them do, and they still are competitive. They still want to win their age groups. They still want to... Uh, they, they don't, you know, just like everybody else, they don't like being injured and they don't want to be treated like, I guess, elderly people. They, they are, they are runners and they want to be treated as such, or they are volleyball players or archers or whatever they are. They want to be treated as athletes, not as people that are just doing this for fun. They really are competitive. Yeah. It, that's definitely the one of the cool things about it and and to know you know that there's always uh you know that opportunity out there for us no matter where we get to in our running career it's not too late to to go out there and compete if if that's what you know you're really into and uh, I yeah. definitely caught the uh some stories on the news about uh, uh about Ms Hawkins there and, and her uh, I mean she was uh, I must say, for 103, I was pretty impressed at, oh, at the time she's... she was putting up on the track. Oh, and she's and she uh, she doesn't she has she doesn't walk with a cane. She is the best way to put it. She has complete control of all of her faculties. Her mind is sharp, and she just enjoys what she does. She likes the attention and and stuff, but she enjoys running. And you know, she's like, I don't run all the time. I have to save them for the meet for the meets but she just enjoys the whole experience. Yeah. And yeah, that that's pretty inspiring. Now uh, the first half of uh, 2019 was really busy for you. And uh, you know, so are you going to take some time to recover or are you already at planning your next running adventure? Well, my next running adventure will be the, uh, the Richmond marathon, which apparently a lot of people from Baltimore are going to. Um, so probably won't start training till mid July for Richmond and then uh, see where that takes me. That's awesome. Well, thanks again for sharing your experience with us, David, and uh, I will definitely see you at Richmond, but hopefully much sooner than that. Absolutely. I'll try to join one of those group runs that I see from BRC.
Yeah, that sounds good. I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks. Throughout this year, we've been checking in with Nicholas Dava as he progresses through a year of intense training in hopes of running an Olympic trials qualifying time for the marathon at the California International Marathon in December. Recently, Nick ran the Grandma's Half Marathon in Duluth, Minnesota, and he's back on the podcast to share his experience. Thanks for coming on, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me, Glenn. So, Nick, as you were training in the spring uh, after your impressive run at the Shamrock Half Marathon, what was your goal looking ahead to the Grandma's Half? Yeah, so I had a 10K at the end of April where I was hoping to run around 32 minutes. I ended up running with 32-31, a little off, but a weird race. And then for Grandma's, I was hoping to run about 68 minutes out there. So that was the goal. Yeah. So then, you know, after that 10K in May, you had a bit of a setback in your training that sidelined you for a little bit. How did that come about and how did it affect your training? Yeah, so it was like two things, sort of. So I had this abdominal strain. Maybe we're calling it a sports hernia. Some medical doctors don't want to call it that. Um, but, you know, that was started probably in most of April. And as a runner, sometimes we think it's something. And I thought it was my psoas is being tight. So I was training through it and doing all the things I had learned in physical therapy. Some days it would be okay. Some days it would be bad. Um, after the 10K, I, you know, we, we went to doctors and kind of got it diagnosed with a strain and kind of cut back fitness already in May. And so for a lot of May, it was just easy runs trying to get the strain to go away because easy runs didn't usually hurt it. And by the end of the month, I had finally gotten enough fitness back and felt good enough that I did my first workout is around May 25th, somewhere around there. And that next day, things started going pretty bad. I got a viral infection um, that we thought when I went to medic, the Medimerge was a, the flu. Then they thought maybe it was um, the flu is kind of what they thought, even though it came back negative. So they kind of asked me to, you know, relax, you know, rest, taking a lot of fluids. Um, that Friday, that Friday after that happened, I ended up uh, waking up in like a ball of sweat um, and just like out of it. I went to the bathroom and ended up passing out it as I went to the bathroom, woke up next to the bathroom. Um, after that, I started getting some muscle weakness in both my arms. Um, at first, I'm just thinking, oh, it's, you know, part of the flu and weakness that comes with it. But it was so much that I couldn't open bottles. I couldn't open those child locks we have. I couldn't squeeze toothpaste. Um, and by Sunday, after I had explained my symptoms to tons of friends who you know, are in the medical field, they're all like, none of that sounds great. You need to go to the hospital. So Monday morning, went to Franklin Square Hospital, to the ER, just thinking, eh, maybe it's nothing. Um, went back to the ER area. And I was like the eighth person there but the first one admitted. And immediately after seeing that, I was like, it's probably a big deal that I'm passing all these people. Um, they ended up hooking me up to the machines, getting a lot of, an IV on me, doing some blood work. It came back that I had rhabdomyolysis, um, something usually seen in, I don't want to say CrossFitters or other people who are doing those types of activities, but you know, runners can see it too. 
Um, but it wasn't in my legs. It wasn't in area, any area that I'm using for my running. It was in my arms. So I spent two nights in the ER um, getting about seven bags of IV. They checked my heart because my troponin levels, something that measures whether your heart, how your heart is doing, was a little high. So they measured, they did an echo and that came back fine. My kidneys came back fine. Three days of hospital, they let me go home um, and, uh, you know, follow-ups with all my doctors and everyone said they kind of thought it was just the perfect storm of getting a viral infection, getting dehydrated, maybe that workout just lazing my muscle enzyme levels a little bit, and then, you know, all just hitting me at once. And um, so that knocked me out for, you know, when I got, when you get back from the hospital, you're just dead anyway, you're exhausted. So just a lot of downtime after that. And there's sometime till like mid June, I started feeling better. That's horrifying. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, it seems like you're, you know, past the worst of it now. So, you know, you had this half marathon all the way up in Minnesota coming up at the end of the month. And, you know, you have this big, you know, medical scare in the early part of the month and not able to train for a while. Did you contemplate just dropping out of that grandma's half? I did. And so when I got healthy and when I looked at everything, I had two athletes that I coach who were racing grandmas and I had a lot of friends who were out there. So when I talked to my coach, I, I pitched it to him because we had started running again early mid June, like the eighth, we started training up again and I had a long run that day anyway. And, and I already had all these travel plans out there. So I said, what I thought would be fun would be to turn this trip into something um, for me, something fun to kind of restart my joy meter. I mean, all that in May was a lot um, for my running. And I wanted to get out there, see some friends, have a race just with no expectations. So I had a friend who had a, also a pretty terrible April, June or April, May. And so we just teamed up. We ran the entire race together, kind of being goofy with making videos or just talking the whole time. And I had a lot of friends I met who had good races, bad races, but just being around runners and being around that atmosphere it kind of like restarted the joy I had with running that I was kind of losing from all these things happening. So when I left and came back home, like, you know, I was full of excitement and, and joy and happiness towards running again. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, I could definitely saw from photos you posted, it looked like you're just having a blast out there. Uh, you know, just, just kind of getting back to having fun running. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard great things about uh, the race up there at Grandma's. Uh, what was the best part of that race experience for you? So Duluth is a pretty awesome town, I think. Uh, you know, it's a little older, but what's cool about it is it's right on, it's right on Lake, I think, Superior. Someone might correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're right um, on that. <laughs> but, but so it's in a cool town where, like, you know, there's a little part of town on the water, but a lot of the town goes up this hill, and a lot of the town, all the markets and all the rips, uh restaurants and stuff look right down into the lake. So it's a pretty cool overlook into this giant lake that doesn't end. Um, and then, you know, the weather was perfect, 50 degrees, uh, almost too cold at times. The weird thing that none of us thought about was, you know, it was the race happened right around the 21st. So the first day of summer, it, the sun rose at 5 a.m. and set around 9.15, 9.20. I think it's pretty close to a time zone border. So like we were trying to go to bed because the the half starts at 6.15 a.m. And the sun was still pretty bright outside at 9.15. 
nine o'clock and you know we are like our where we stayed didn't have great blackout lights or like it was just shining in our room so it was like a weird thing i never thought about worrying about that was kind of like when will the sun set <laughs> yeah definitely something uh the further north you go and you can't get much more north than duluth in the united states uh you know you get a little bit more of that daylight in the summertime and they get a little bit more dark in the winter so yeah i guess that's you know one of those local conditions you have to think about so nick uh what's up for you next uh you know on your race calendar or in your training yeah, so so just I didn't say it, but Grandma's, I, I thought it was a really good race. I thought the half was put on well. It, the course is very nice. It's right along the lake. It's it's downhill into the city. Uh, it's point to point. So I know the half I, I liked a lot. I definitely would recommend it. The full people told me they really liked it. I, I, I didn't see the other part of the course, but highly recommended race from what I saw. And then, so to answer your question, um, with Grandma's not being the race I wanted to, I, I pivoted and, and found a couple other halves I wanted to do. So I'm going to do, it's called America's Finest City Half. It's in San Diego in August. So I, I moved to that one to try. I figured, hey, it's super humid and disgusting in Maryland. So why don't I go to one of the places with the best weather around and try and run a half? So I'll do that in August. And then I'm going to do Philly Rock and Roll in September. And then Indy either, something at Indy in November. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and yeah. San Diego, you found an excuse to, to want to go to San Diego. That that must have been a tough choice, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> My sister was out there too, so it was a nice opportunity to go visit her. Um, and, you know, it's beautiful in San Diego. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Uh, it was great to hear, uh, you know, that you kind of made the best of the situation up there in Duluth and, uh, you know, all the best for continued uh, recovery and progress in your training. Thanks so much for having me on again. Our next guest ran the Twilight Trail race presented by the Baltimore Roadrunners Club on July 3rd. Mike Vale runs with BRRC and the Faster Bastards and Ailes from Parkville. Mike, thanks for coming on the Running Around Baltimore podcast. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Yeah, it's great having you on. Uh, so it's kind of unusual to have a trail race that takes place in the dark outside of you know longer ultra races. Is that more challenging for you than normal trail races, or were you pretty prepared for it? Uh, it's a little disorienting running in the dark, um, just because you know you can't really see beyond where your uh, head headlamp beam shines. So that's kind of weird. So it's a little harder to really know sort of uh, the layout of the course. You know, I've run this race a couple times, but I can really just tell you it has some serious hills in it. <laughs> And it runs about the same route as the, uh, you know, roughly the same route as the Super Bowl trail race that BRRC does in February. But that part's a little disorienting. Um, I kind of like the fact that it was at night. Um, I really think that's actually pretty cool. It just makes it something different. I like doing kind of weird, unusual races. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you have a good headlamp, it's really not that much more difficult. I know some people are freaked out by running in the dark, but I think it's actually pretty neat. Yeah, and of course, this time of year, uh, it's the only time you might get a little break from the heat, though. Uh, you know, around the 4th of July, I don't know how much break you really got. Yeah, a little. Um, I think this is the third year for this race, and I think it's always pretty much the same. Um, I think it was about 85 degrees with like 90% humidity. So even though it started at 820-ish, I think, um, in the evening, and it was starting to get dark, and it was dark by the end of the race, it's still pretty hot. Uh, I did an awful lot of sweating in this race. 
Yeah, I don't doubt it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the course and the race experience uh, there at the Twilight Trail Race? Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's a BRC race, and uh, it starts uh, 4th of July Eve. I think this is the third year they've had it. Uh, I think the scheduled race start time was 8.10, but I think it actually kicked off at 8.20. Um, it's uh, six-ish miles. I think I recorded like 6.06. Um, it has some really challenging hills in it. It has uh, the big hill in Cromwell Valley Park um, that I think on Strava is listed as the Stairs of Mordor for all you Lord of the Ring nerds out there, of which I am one. Um, that hill is pretty insane. I don't think I've ever seen anybody run it. You know, it's pretty much something you have to walk. So there's about three parts of this course where the hills are pretty crazy. Um, and of course, it's a trail race, so it's pretty technical. There's rocks, there's roots, there's steep inclines. There's, uh, I think, a few water crossings in this one. I think my feet got pretty wet. Um, I think they were pretty much just ankle deep. Um, but there's a few sections where, you know, I think uh, mere mortals like myself just have to walk. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, I, it was about six-ish miles. And um, the thing that I really liked about it was this year they had pizza and beer at the finish line, which I thought was pretty amazing. They had actually uh, Yingling and Loose Cannon. So that was pretty fun. And uh, after sweating uh, profusely, uh, beer and some pizza was pretty great. So, um, yeah, it's a really fun race. Uh, I think there was about 200 people in it. Uh, I think they make cap it at 200. Um, Bart from BRC is the race director and he always puts on a great race. Yeah, and it sounds like, uh, you know, big crowd, good time to be had. And, you know, you got everything. You've got punishing hills, uh, punishing heat, beer, pizza. What else could you ask for? Yeah, it's really a lot of fun. And like all the BRC events, it's really affordable. Um, if you're a member of BRC, um, most of their races are a, a few bucks. Um, they have a few premium races throughout the year. This was one. So I think this was something like 25 bucks, which I still think is a steal. Um, considering um, how much fun it was and how unique the uh, the experience is racing at night and the pizza and beer afterwards. So um, I really think BRC is pretty much the greatest deal, you know, in town. It's like $22 a year for single membership. And I think it's like 26 for family membership. And uh, this race was just one of the things that makes it uh, a pretty special club. Yeah. And Bart's races do have a pretty good following. Uh so, yeah, that, that's all awesome stuff. But how did the race go for you, Mike? Uh, did you feel pretty good out there? I think I finished 30th or 40th. I'm not exactly sure out of about, I think there was 190 entrants. So that's um, that's kind of about where I place in the field at this point in my uh, running career, pushing 50 years old. Um, so I was happy with it. I was actually kind of surprised that I did as well as I did. I think I finished it at an hour. Um, and, uh, I think my pace was 10 minutes flat. So, you know, that would be pretty slow for a road race, but for a really challenging, um, uh, trail course at night, um, I think that was actually, I was, I was pretty happy with that. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think I did, um, about an hour out of about, um, 200 people. I think I finished 30 or 40 or something like that. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'd be pretty happy with that myself. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. See you out on the roads. On July 4th, 2019, I ran the 37th annual Arbutus Firecracker 10K. This was my first time at this race, which is one of the iconic local races, especially amongst serious runners. 
I had heard that this race was old school, but in a good way, that the hills are tough and that the core support was great. This race was just as it was advertised. I arrived a little more than an hour before the 8 a.m. start time to secure parking, get prepared for the race, and to get in a warm-up. Uh, parking is somewhat limited at Arbutus Middle School, and all available parking spots uh, at the middle school lot were filled by 7.15 a.m. A word to the wise for those who may want to run this one next year, just know that cars parked on the school lot will not be able to leave until after the arch comes down at around 10 a.m. So park elsewhere if you need to make a quick exit after you're done. One of the first things that I noticed was that there were nine porta potties at the start and a table set up with extra toilet paper and hand sanitizer. With about 450 starters, this made for some of the shortest restroom lines that I have ever seen at the beginning of a race, which was a very nice touch. Temperatures at gun time were not so nice, in the mid to high 80s, with high humidity and very bright sunshine. I got off to a fast start, as the first two miles sports a lot of downhill running. My adrenaline level was pretty high at the beginning. There's a lot of great community support for this race, as hundreds of local residents were cheering us on from their lawns and dozens of houses turned on sprinklers to help us cool down on the course. Add that to the fact that there were water stops at least every mile, a few of which offered cold water soaked handkerchiefs, and this race has hands down the best community and course support of any small race I've run thus far. After those first two miles, though, I realized there was no way I could continue a blistering pace as the heat and long sustained climbing up the hills forced me to slow things down a bit to ensure that I could finish and avoid negative health impacts. It is important for anyone who has not run this one uh, before that you must come in ready to respect the heat and the hills, as this race forced a lot of veteran runners to slow their normal pace, and there were some cases of heat-related illness among the participants this year and pretty much every year. Uh, after a downhill finish, runners were greeted with ice-cold water bottles, uh, ice water-soaked towels, a finisher's medal, and a post-race buffet that featured snow cones, hot dogs, and donuts, in addition to the typical fruit and potato chip lineup. That snow cone really hit the spot after finishing this hot race. This was a super competitive field and featured some of Baltimore's uh, top runners. Uh, the top three male finishers were Tyler Muse, Jeremy Ardnoy, and Dave Burdan. And the top three female finishers were Hannah Cochiaro, Mara Lind, and Jackie Range. There were generous post-race awards with over 100 winners earning prize money uh, or winning items in random drawings. I didn't win anything this year, but I pushed through some challenging patches and was very happy to finish under 50 minutes and just inside the top 100 finishers. I thoroughly enjoyed this race from sending in my $25 check for registration with my paper entry form at a stamp to running a challenging course in intense heat through a very supportive crowd and capping the whole experience off with a celebratory snow cone and catching up with a bunch of running friends. The Arbutus Firecracker 10K is a race that I highly recommend as a great way to kick off your 4th of July celebration next year. If you were looking to race in late July or early August, here's a few you might want to check out. On Sunday, July 21st at 8 a.m., go to Carroll Park to run the Wreck and Parks 5K. 
It's the next installment in the $5.5K series, so just come to Carroll Park on race morning to sign up and run another Baltimore City Park and support their efforts to create quality programs for city residents and visitors. Also on Sunday, July 21st at 8 a.m., the Baltimore Roadrunners Club will host the Women's Distance Festival Christmas in July race at Lake Montebello. This is the 30th year for the race directed by Robin Goodwin, which is virtually flat as the course is just over two loops around the lake. The premium this year is an adjustable wicking sun visor, and there will be awards for the top three runners, top three in each age group, top master and grandmaster, and awards for the best Christmas costume. There will also be a fun run for girls ages 8 through 14 right after the women's race, which is just one loop around the lake, about 1.35 miles. Pre-registration costs $25 for BRRC members and $35 for non-members, then $40 at packet pickup or on race morning. To lock in pre-race registration prices, go to brrc.com for more information on the Women's Distance Festival Christmas in July race on July 21st and to sign up. Also on Sunday, July 21st, Ripit Events presents the Ellicott City 5K and 10K starting at 8.30 a.m. at the Banneker Historical Park in Oella. 5K and 10K runners will share the same course with the 10K participants running two loops instead of one. There will also be a relay option for two runners to split the 10K race with a friend. There will also be a .4 mile kids fun run for just $5 as well, starting just after the start of the main race. Go to ripitevents.com to register for the Ellicott City 5K and 10K on July 21st. Also on July 21st, the Anne Arundel Striders and Kent Island Running Group are hosting a festival of trail runs at Rosaryville State Park in Prince George's County. There will be races at the 10K, 10-mile, 25K, and 50K distances. All race distances begin at 7 a.m., and registration for all distances is $45 with a discounted $30 registration for active military personnel. This race benefits the Special Operations Warrior Foundation and Brood Ranch Animal Sanctuary. Go to activa.com for more information on the Rosaryville Trail Runs on July 21st and to register. Then on Saturday, July 27th at 7 a.m., the Annapolis Striders present the 9th Annual Endless Summer 6-Hour Run. This event takes place on a 3.6-mile looped course on packed dirt paths at the Greenberry Point Nature Center adjacent to the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. Run as many or as few laps as you like in the 6-hour time limit of the race. It's completely up to you. Registration costs $65 for Annapolis Striders members and $75 for non-members, and the race benefits the Semper Fi Fund. There is also a three-person relay option for this race. Go to AnnapolisStriders.org for more information on the Endless Summer 6-hour run on July 27th and to register. Then on Thursday, August 1st at 6.30 p.m., the Baltimore Roadrunners Club presents the two-person 10-mile relay. This event takes place on the Johns Hopkins University track located at their Eastern High School facility on 33rd Street in Baltimore. This event is directed by Aaron Surrett, who gave us a preview and description of this event in her interview back at episode 13. Basically, you and a friend will alternate each mile until you've completed 10 miles as a team. Registration is race day only starting at 6 p.m. 
Go to uh, www.brrc.com to learn more about the two-person 10-mile relay on August 1st. And on Saturday, August 3rd at 8 a.m., the 10th annual Casey Cares 5K kicks off from a new location starting at South Point at Port Covington. This 5K run walk will run along the waterfront in a new course. Casey Cares is an organization that supports families of critically ill children, so the proceeds of this race are important for helping them to fulfill their mission. Pre-registration costs $45 and race day registration costs $50. Go to CaseyCares.org for more information and to sign up for the Casey Cares 5K on August 3rd. Now it's time for Coach's Corner, where I'll be talking with Coach Buddy to get some advice for improving your running. Buddy Weber is an RRCA certified running coach with the Baltimore Roadrunners Club. Welcome back, Coach. Hey, thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. And uh, back with us today for our continuing series on marathon training is TJ Bryan. Welcome back, TJ. Thank you. Happy to be back. Yes, thanks for coming on, TJ. So before we get to TJ, I uh, want to start with you, Glenn, of how things are going. I'd just like to remind our listeners that uh, you were basically right at the beginning of your marathon training, and I prescribed four weeks of base building before your 18 weeks of marathon training started, and you're just at the end of those four weeks. And the, the key goal for you was uh, to get comfortable running five days a week uh, without any optional days. So how's that going so far, Glenn? I'd say for the most part, it's going pretty well. I definitely got my five days in this week. Other weeks, I only did four, but I had some longer days. No, actually, I guess I got five days in before, but it wasn't in the normal plan because I had thrown a few extra races uh, in there, you know, just to sort of, uh, you know, give me something to look forward to here in the summer. But I feel strong. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, ready to take on some of the more uh, strenuous, uh, you know, runs that are prescribed in the plan to, to build up the speed at this point. One other thing that uh, for you that we wanted to be cautious of is the, uh, the running that you do with the pacemakers. And for your speed training, instead of prescribing, doing what I've prescribed, you'll be doing the speed training with the pacemakers. How do you feel that's going so far? feel it's going pretty well. I did, because of racing, I did skip it last week, knowing I had a race on Thursday and my track is normally on Wednesday. I just sort of substituted a, a hard, uh, you know, road running race for the speed training. But I got back into it this week and uh, came pretty close to my quarter mile uh, personal best. So, uh, that you know, I feel like it's going pretty well. I feel pretty strong after it. Uh, and, you know, I'm ready to uh, continue on with that and, and try to push those uh, speeds a little bit faster. Oh, very good. So uh, this coming week really starts the first of 18 weeks of your marathon training. And we'll keep tabs on on both of those issues, uh, making sure that uh, you're not burned out. Uh, again, we, we have some extra time coming up. Uh, especially you, you have a, a vacation coming up uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, we, we backed off of the mileage a little bit uh, during that time period. And, and we'll, we'll see how that goes and see if you're able to get those few runs in while you're on vacation. Yeah, definitely hoping to get in a few kind of five miler uh, type, you know, sort of easy runs, maybe running on the beach or running around the resort. I'm going to be 
pretty, I'm going to be in the tropics. It's going to be hot and humid there. Anything more than about five miles. And, uh, and uh, that, that gets to be too much with the heat and the humidity. So I just want to come out of that feeling good and, uh, you know, ready to pick it up when I get back. Yeah, perhaps we should have had that segment on uh, running in the heat and humidity a few weeks earlier for you. But I'll give the, a teaser to uh, our listeners as, as well as coaching you. Uh, back off on your pace a little bit. Stay hydrated. And uh, if, if it's too oppressive and too hot, find another way to get the run in or just enjoy the day off. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind. I've been trying to keep uh, get my runs in early to try to, uh, you know, help mi- uh, mitigate that problem so far. So, uh, you know, I'll try to do that on vacation also if I can. That, that's a great strategy. Good work, Glenn. All right, TJ, uh, you've had some fun the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I would call it fun. <laughs> well, you, uh, you you decided to schedule a B race a little bit early in the training, which which is fine. Uh, and, you told uh, me it was a C race, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, I'm glad you chose it as a C race, but uh, it, it, it was probably a little bit harder than either of us had anticipated so why don't, why don't you tell the listeners what uh, what you did and uh, your experience to that oh happy to uh, buddy you actually said I was going off script because I ran a half marathon during the fifth week of training and um, buddy you know I began to fret about this half marathon after I saw the elevation and you sort of talked me through that and came up with parallels uh, between that elevation and the elevation at uh, Lock Raven Reservoir. Unfortunately, uh, I was not comforted because I had not run at Lock Raven in quite a while. <laughs> but uh, when I got to the race, and the race was uh, the Montezuma Half Marathon in upstate New York, near Corning, New York. And uh, I chose that race because I thought that it might be less humid and less hot in that setting. I was wrong, it was very warm, very humid, but I was there, so I ran. Uh, what I learned when I arrived, though, um, was that the elevation was only part of the story. My husband and I decided we were gonna go out and explore the course because we got there uh, a day earlier than we would normally arrive for a half marathon. And we went out on the course, And we encountered maybe, uh, I'd say maybe about four or five miles in, about a mile of road that was covered, newly covered with really thick gravel or heavy gravel, new gravel. And so um, that lasted for about a mile. And I'd have to cover that road on the way back. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to run fast here. So I had to run, when I, during the race, I had to run very carefully and slowly in that section because I was concerned about possibly wrenching an ankle or something. So then um, after that, we went down in another section that was really covered with really thick grass. And um, there are narrow paths through the grass. And I think that was maybe about three, three and a half, four miles. And then, um, you know, did the rest of the course. The rest of the course, there were a number of uh, steep hills at least steep for me since I hadn't been at Lock Raven recently and um, so uh, 
we went to pick up the packet after this little drive through and we were questioned about how we had managed to get through the course because the course was supposed to have been, a lot of it was supposed to have been off uh, limits for people. But what happened was that we actually were behind the truck that with people who were putting out the mile markers. And so we were actually able to uh, experience the course uh, because we just sort of locked up and that we were in a really narrow window when the course was accessible. But at any rate, um, the race was interesting. It was very challenging. It was the most challenging course on which I've ever run, actually. Well, TJ, that's that's uh, very good. So how did you approach it? Uh, did did you run it hard? Did you back off? How, 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 did, how did you go about it? I decided that uh, this was clearly not going to be a PR race given the course. Also, uh, I, am, I kept trying to keep my eye on the prize, and the prize is a marathon, not a half marathon. So I decided to use this race as an opportunity to practice marathon pace. I also decided that I would experiment during the race. I usually wear a water vest when I run, and I decided that I would use the water stops. Uh, and they were positioned every two miles, as is the norm. And uh, so I, 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 I did that. I also, I had read recently an article about priming. Uh, the article was in Runner's World, and it suggested that um, for some of the sort of middle distances like the half marathon, perhaps the um, six mile or things like that, that perhaps it would be good to get the breathing difficulties out of the way in a, in a sense before the race began by engaging in a uh, burst at 5K, a speed burst, 5K pace for um, I think about 30 to 45 seconds and then you do this maybe 10 to 20 minutes before the race so that, you know, your body is already primed to run. I guess it's sort of like uh, doing strides. So I did that before the race. And I, and interestingly, it seemed to work because I didn't seem to have that much difficulty breathing, especially during the first mile or so. And um, so I did that. So that was another thing I experimented with. And... Um, so, and I went, this is the first time I finished any race when I didn't feel tired. And I think I didn't feel tired because I ran so easily. And as I said, keeping my eye on the prize, understanding I had very little really to gain in terms of big picture if I sort of, you know, sort of gave it my all during this race. So uh, those are two things I did that were different. Oh, well, that's very good. and. Uh... I typically, uh, I recommend to, to people for a half marathon or a marathon, use that first mile to get things, in, get, get, get yourself into it and typically not go out for a warm-up ahead of time. But it seems like that warm-up worked out quite well for you and for you to do it b before a C race or even a B race. I think that's a great idea. And uh, I, I think it's something that you could probably uh, employ in future races. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Needless to say, I will not be employing anything of that sort before the marathon. I will need every ounce of energy, I suspect, uh, you know, to complete that. Uh, 
So over the next uh, four weeks, you are still in what I consider typically tame mileage. Uh, you're really first what I consider a serious run is going to come up uh, the week of August 12th, your, your first uh, uh, 16 miler. How do you feel now? How do you feel after the race? And uh, how do you feel about the, uh, your, your training that you've done so far, whether it's the, the tempo runs or the speed workouts? I'm fairly comfortable with the races. Of course, the major challenge is the heat. I ran 11 miles yesterday. I ran four miles today. And I'm fortunate in that I'm so close to the trail so that I can run in shaded areas. I have to admit, I have not been woman enough to run in some of these streets with the, with the, with the, with the you know, full sun. And, um, but I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I've, my longest race, as you know, was the half marathon a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I will move up to, I'm in my seventh week. So I will run 13 miles this coming week, and then I'll be moving up. And as you've indicated, I'll be up to the uh, tougher long runs soon. The speed work uh, has been going well. You know that I'm relatively new to speed work. I'd not been doing speed work. I was one of those people who ran the same pace all the time, regardless of the day of the week. Uh, and, and I, and so, but it's going, it's going well. I should say, by the way, in the uh, half marathon, even though I was not running it for speed, I was happy uh, to, I was actually, I was happy to learn. I actually finished in the top 40% of 115 women. TJ, that, that's fantastic. And I think all these little things that you're doing along the way are, are, are paying huge dividends and just, as, as someone mentioned to me, you're putting additional information into your bank account that you'll be able to draw from uh, come, come your marathon. I, I did learn, though, I need to work more on, on my strength because the hills in that half marathon were really tough. And I am consciously running steeper hills as part of – I have hill work in the schedule, or I think I have hill work or tempo running – one day a week, and so I'm sort of alternating because I, as I, said, I did not feel as strong as I would like to have felt uh, during the half marathon. So I'll do that. I think that that's a great approach. And for our listeners, there's there's uh, three ways you can in, incorporate hill work into your your workouts. Uh, what I call short hills. So these are short bursts, maybe a uh, hundred yards up a relatively steep hill. Uh, and then uh, walk down it and do that repeats. Uh, you could add that on to any, uh, any one of your workouts. Uh, the medium hills or long hills, uh, you can look at them both ways. Uh, TJ, just what you described, um, that is a really good way to build your strength, specifically uh, in the glutes. Uh, and then in your long runs, it's always good to incorporate medium or long hills into your runs. So I think you're hitting all the right things, and uh, I look forward to hearing more from you in the, in the coming weeks. I, I think you're right on target. Well, I will say this about the glutes. This is the first time, this race was the first time I ever was really conscious of my glutes after a race. And I'm sure <laughs> it's because it was, so much of it was uphill. <laughs> uh, better to learn to that lesson now than later, so that's great. <laughs> 
All right. So a- any questions for me, Glenn or, uh, or TJ? No, I mean, uh, TJ, it sounds like you're doing fantastically and, and you're definitely getting some things, uh, you know, relatively early in your marathon training uh, that you can kind of focus in and, and work on. Uh, and that should, you know, help keep you fresh and motivated, uh, you know, to keep getting in all these uh, workouts in, in the tough summer heat. I actually ran the half marathon because I uh, off script, uh, buddy, because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to race at least once every three months, and I tend to want to race longer. And the half marathon is the distance that's good for me for a shorter race. I'm not a 5K runner. I mean, I do them and I do well, but I don't see myself in that realm. But the half marathon was good because it, it, I find the more I race the more comfortable I am when I race. And so I want to make sure that any nervousness or whatever I sort of dealt with before the, the marathon. It, it, TJ, that, that's a great approach. Uh, I, I find myself, if I end up doing nothing but training for 18 straight weeks, uh, I get anxious, I get bored, and uh, I, I, I yearn for that competition. So you're, you're doing all the right things. So that, that's great to hear. Yeah, it's definitely good to light that fire every now and then just to, you know, to, to know you got it in you. All right. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, we've uh, kind of covered all the bases for this time. We'll definitely be checking back in to do more uh, in another round of marathon uh, updates uh, next month. So, TJ, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Coach Buddy, if people wanted to get in touch with you for uh, training advice, uh, how could they do that? Well, I'd encourage them to check out uh, BRRC's webpage at www.brrc.com. Uh, we are just beginning our program. We uh, week one this past week. Uh, we have a rolling enrollment, so feel free to enroll anytime and and jump on in. Uh, you will be coached by trained um, uh, and certified running coaches through the RRCA. I'm not leading the group this go-round because of, of work commitments, but I will be there uh, most Saturdays with, with the group out at Lock Raven. Uh, if people want to reach out to me directly, they can do so via email at runningcoachbuddy at gmail.com, uh, or they can look me up on Twitter at runningcoachbud. All right, that's great, Coach. And again, TJ, thanks again for coming on. We'll talk with you next month. My pleasure. Every time I see you, baby, feel like love is something new. For Baltimore's best running routes, we are continuing a series of running routes that highlight area parks. Leakin Park is the largest park in Baltimore City, but perhaps one of its most overlooked. Leakin Park is located in the western and northwestern portions of the city and connects to the Gwynns Falls Park, allowing for a long running and biking path from the I-70 Park at Ride to downtown Baltimore. This path runs along the scenic Gwynns Falls and is mostly shaded from the hot summer sun. The weekly park run race is also held along this trail. I've posted a 5K out and back route from the park and ride that will give you a little taste of what the park has to offer on our website at runningaroundbmore.wixsite.com slash podcast. So get out there and see what you've been missing by exploring one of Baltimore's best running routes in Leakin Park.
For this week's destination run, let's take a trip down to Prince George's County to run the Perimeter Trail at Rosaryville State Park. Rosaryville State Park is located on the land of the Mount Airy Mansion, which is located within the park. The Perimeter Trail is a popular training and racing loop for runners and mountain bikers, with well-maintained single-track trails, plenty of up and down, but no majorly steep or technical sections, and just a few shallow creek crossings. This trail is home to 50k trail races in July and November each year that make for ideal starter ultras, so I highly recommend that you take a trip down to Prince George's County to test out the trails before attempting to race there. I have posted a 10-mile course that includes a perimeter trail that starts and ends at the Equestrian Center parking area, which is the start-finish area for the November race put on by the Annapolis Striders. Check it out and then head down to Rosaryville State Park for a trail adventure in this week's Destination Run. Before we get to this week's interview, I want to share some ways that you can connect with the show. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I'll be posting periodically to provide show updates, and then you can message me directly there to share feedback on the episodes, make suggestions for future guests or segments, and ask any questions you may have. If there is an event that you would like us to highlight, well, just tell me about it. If there's a person that you feel the community should get to know, I'm always looking for recommendations for future guests. We also have a show website at runningaroundbemore.wixsite.com podcast. There you will find all of the running routes shared on the show, links to the episodes on all the different podcast sites, and other key information. Also, it would be greatly appreciated if you'd subscribe to the show and write a review on your preferred podcast service. If you like what we're doing, tell your friends about it on social media, and when you're out at your next race or group run. I really appreciate all your support. I couldn't do any of this without you. So without further interruption, let's get to this week's interview. This week's interview, I'll be speaking with Megan DiGregorio, who runs for the Baltimore Roadrunners Club, Falls Road Running, and the Baltimore Pacemakers. She hails from White Marsh and is the pride of Perry Hall High School and Towson University. Megan, welcome to the Running Around Baltimore podcast. Hi, Glenn. Thank you. So, uh, Meg, I know that you're a high school and college track runner, uh, but you know, how did you get started running and uh, how did you know when you were hooked? Um, so actually I, my dad used to be a kind of a bigger runner back in the day and he took me to my first race. I want to say back in 1999 when I was like well, 10 or 11 years old and it was the Maryland, the zoo zoom race. That was a big race back in the day. And I just did the kids mile fun run, but then he started to take me to five K's after that. And I kind of got, um, more into running and realized that I wasn't too bad. So in middle school. I ran a turkey trot and won it, and my middle school gym teacher told the uh, high school teacher, cross-country coach, that, uh, like, just kind of look out for me when I get to high school and that I should be on the team. So then ever since then, I started running uh, for Perry Hall High School and ran all three seasons for all four years there. And then kind of from there, um, I was able to get a scholarship to Towson University to run um, – track and cross country at Towson so and that's how I kind of got into running was kind of all because of my dad 
really. Yeah, and I, I know running's a family affair in, in your household anyway, but uh, it seems like you've been crushing it for for quite a while and, and from the beginning. So it's it's fun that, you know, you've been able to kind of carry through with it so long. So uh, at Towson, you ran the steeplechase. It was one of your events. Uh, seems to be getting a little more popular as Americans have re- risen to prominence in that event the last few years. Um, why'd you become a steeplechaser? Oh, um, well, actually, it was kind of, uh, I came in actually an 800 meter to mile runner. Um, and the girl that ran steeplechase and had the course record just graduated. So she was kind of gone and he didn't really recruit uh, a steeplechaser. And we kind of needed one on the team just to kind of score points, I guess, at championships. And he picked a couple of us and he picked me out. And because I ran cross country, I guess, had had some endurance and asked me if I wanted to, uh, to, to be the steeplechaser for the team. And back when I was in college, it, at least in the state of Maryland, nobody really ran steeplechase, I guess, unless you went to a private school. So I had no clue what it even was. Um, so he sat me down um, in his office and, and pulled up a YouTube video and I had to watch what, it, what exactly it was. And I was like, sure, I'll give it a go. I was a gymnast. I'm like, I could probably, probably get over the, the barriers, um, have a little bit of flexibility. So I didn't really train for my first steeplechase race. And he kind of just threw me in a race just to see how I would do. And uh, when I got done, I thought it was kind of a fun race. And I was like, I'll stick with this and I'll work on it and work on technique and try to get better um, at it. And four years later, my very last race I ran at University of Maryland, I was able to snag the school record um, just before I graduated. So I actually ended up, he actually picked out something that he saw in me and had faith and kind of trained me to be a, a better um, steeplechaser and it ended up working out pretty well. Yeah. And it, it's a tough race, as you said, to get into as a, as a youth runner. I mean, really there just aren't that many pits, um, you know, around outside of college tracks. Uh, so, you know, but seems like you were able to pick it up pretty well and, and you carried that through uh, has, you know, the skills that come along with being a steeplechaser, having to run, then jump, plant, hurdle over the pit. Has, do you feel like that's helped you as you've continued on as a trail runner or even as a road runner? Yeah, I think um, it definitely helped a lot on the trails, obviously, because you're hopping over a lot of things. Um, so I definitely had, when I started trail running, I was kind of more running through things instead of like out and around them. Um you just kind of get used to that running, like when you're running at a barrier to kind of just run through it instead of thinking about it too much um, per se. But I trained a lot when I did the steeplechase. I actually ran a little bit of my workouts with our actual hurdlers as well. Um, so that helped me uh, build some agility for the doing that. And I knew that um, BRC usually has, one steeplechase race uh, at one of their summer track meets each year. And uh, I know you've run that race in the past. Um, how does it feel to go back and run that old event of yours? Well, the first the first time we put it together, I think I was the only um, female that wanted to run it. So instead of running a race by myself, I ran at the men's barrier height. Um, and I had never done that before. So I was pretty nervous, you know, a couple of years to run. Uh, and have to hurdle a barrier that was a little taller than what I was used to 
but I actually didn't do too bad with it. And I kind of hung in with the guys. Um, and then a couple of years later, we were able to get enough uh, women's steeplechasers together so that we could run at women's height again. But um, it was kind of interesting and, and kind of fun to do it at men's height and say that I was able to to erase it at uh, the men's barrier height. And uh, you still run, um, you know, track meets, uh, you know, pretty competitively, I believe. You know, you've run one or two open track meets this year, uh, one at Johns Hopkins uh, this spring comes uh, particularly to mind. Uh, what motivates you to keep competing in track events when, you know, your kind of formal track career ended a number of years ago? Um, I always had the love for speed on the track. Uh, in high school, I was more of a 400, 800 miler and never did anything over the mile. Um, and then I was kind of forced in college to go a little bit longer just based on the races available um, and the specialty of the rest of the team that came in. Some of them were more specialized in the short stuff, so I became more of a longer runner. Um, but I like to mix it up. So for a couple of years in my career, I was really getting into ultra running and trail running. And then I got into some road marathons and you kind of get burned out if you do it too long. So I just try to go back to the track always to remind me where I kind of came from in the beginning the short fast stuff um and i really enjoy sprinting um actually the last track meet I, for the second time ever I, I ran the 200 meter and the first time ever i ran a 100 meter dash and i it's just kind of fun to explore other distances i think and it just gives like refreshes you as a runner to uh keep mixing it up yeah and that's definitely been a theme of your career um i don't know of too many different types of running challenges that you haven't, you know, taken on road trail, you know, long and short, um, and now track, obviously that's, it's pretty neat how you've been able to kind of go between those. And, uh, sounds like it just keeps it fun for you. So yeah, when it you're keeps it fun, keeps you from yeah. burning out, I think. Yeah. I'm, I don't have that track background. So, um, you know, outside of, you know, doing speed work on the track. Uh, you know, I, I haven't really embraced those track events, uh, you know, for racing so much yet, but perhaps someday. So, you know, when your college career at Towson uh, finished, uh, how did you transition at that point to road running? Was it something that you kind of had in the back of your mind planned it ahead of time, or was it just something that happened? Oh, well, it definitely helped. I right out of college, I worked here at the running store. Um, and I was around a lot of, I started running with the falls road racing team at the time. And I was around a lot of runners that were already into the long distance stuff, like half marathons and marathons. And I honestly didn't think I would ever do a marathon, but, um, two years out of college, I finally did my first one. Uh, but I think just being around people that were talking about it all the time and you're kind of forced to go longer, like a lot of road races, are going to be at least a 5k. So to me coming out of college, a 5k was kind of long. I never really got into cross country, which were 5k, 6k's. So I had to slowly teach myself to like the longer distance stuff. Um, I think I did my first longest race with the Baltimore 10 miler in 2010. I think I did it. Um, and that was like a month after graduating. And when I finished that race, to me, it felt like a marathon. It was a uh, very hard and it was, I mean, running in the heat too. I also wasn't used to as much running in the summer because um, the track seasons are generally fall or fall or spring. But um, yeah, I kind of worked my way up 
Um, and just, like I said, running with some of the girls, um, they were kind of like, I looked up to a lot of the older girls on the race team and kind of followed in their footsteps and took advice from them. And the people that also worked at the running store were all running longer races and they taught me about nutrition and how to use it. Cause in college we weren't even given water during workouts. It was kind of just, you go do your workout and then later on you drink or eat. So there was a lot to learn and a lot to take in. And I think I read a couple of books before I ran my first marathon as well. Um, but yeah, it was all because of the people around me as I kind of started to run a little bit longer um, races. Yeah. And uh, that first marathon was uh, in Delaware. And I'm, if I recall correctly, you broke the New tape Jersey. as a women's Oh, it was New Jersey. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you, you, uh, you broke the tape as a women's champion of that race, right? Yeah, that was uh, really unexpected. <laughs> um, well, and that, that was going to be my question. Uh, you know, was, you know, it sounds like winning wasn't the goal going in. Uh, you know, how did you kind of prepare physically, mentally for that race? You know, new distance, uh, you know, new portion of your uh, your running career. Yeah, I mean, for my first couple of years out of college, I actually didn't win probably any races. I don't even remember really winning any races. So in my head, I wasn't. I was competitive, but I wasn't because I didn't really know the long stuff. So I didn't know how to be competitive. I was just learning it. So going into this marathon, it was all about in my head was just finishing. I was 24 years old and, you know, I, I was very, very nervous. I, they did have an elite section that started exactly one minute before us. So there was already a bunch of women that were already a minute ahead. And I started with the regular crowd and um, I didn't even know they were that far ahead. I didn't know what place I was in at all, but I just kept running. And somebody told me that I ended up, I was in third place and then I was in second. And then they said I wasn't that far behind the first place woman. And at that point, I wasn't even going after her. I was just running very comfortably and felt really strong. And I ended up seeing her and passing her. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, there's no way I can be winning this marathon. I was like, very unbelievable that I was able to cross the tape and it was, I was in shock, honestly, first that I finished, was able to finish a marathon. Um, and based on my chip time, I, I also broke three hours and I was just in all, I think mostly about what I did. I didn't even know, honestly, what breaking three hours was. I didn't know how good that was, um, until people told me later on. So it was kind of a cool all around experience that I had at that race. And then from there, I kind of, I think I got a little more competitive in the longer distance races because I knew I could, could be after that. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely going to be my, uh, you know, next sort of line of questioning, you know, how did that sort of shift your goals, uh, that you're setting for yourself at that point, uh, you know, with such an auspicious beginning to your, you know, your marathoning career. Yeah. So then after that, I was kind of stuck on the marathon and I was, I was interested in just, you know, I, I figured it out how to run one in the first race. And most people can't do that. They don't know how to run a marathon. And I kind of felt like I naturally knew how, which was odd. So I signed up for I my next marathon. And I think I ran only a couple more under three hours um, before I kind of hit a wall and started running. And eh, not, not as well anymore. But to this day, I've done 12 marathons. And my fastest is still back in 2013 when I did the Boston Marathon. 
And then after that, I started to kind of burn out in the road marathon. That's when I switched over to trail running, I think, to get off the roads and just try something different. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's important to, you know, to, to keep it fun and, and to be enjoying what you're doing. And if you're burning out, uh, better to switch uh, to a new scene than to, to quit altogether. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I, I kind of do. And people are like, well, don't you ever take breaks? And I said, I don't take breaks. I just kind of switch what, up what I'm doing. And that's, that's for me, that's enough. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, beyond just being a runner, uh, you know, you sort of worked in, in the, the retail fitness space. Uh, you know, was that a goal that you had, you know, as you went through college uh, or was, you know, it just something that sort of came about and that you've stuck with over the years? Uh, so I was actually a exercise science major. So I had always been kind of in that um exercise field and with that major you can kind of do a little of anything you could be a personal trainer you could be you could work in the cardiac rehab at a hospital um anything exercise or kind of like kinesiology type related um but originally my goal was going to be to be a physical therapist um then when I graduated college I was kind of burnt out just from being a full-time athlete and I had a part-time job just so I could live off campus and, you know, with the workload of graduating on time, I was kind of burnt out and I took the job at the running store just kind of to do something for fun before I decided what I really wanted to do. Um, ended up not doing anything with physical therapy. I worked at the, um, the Mac Harborese downtown for a bit because I was thinking I was going to be a personal trainer and then kind of changed my mind after that and then I got into like retail up here and I realized I kind of really liked retail and I liked, you know, interacting with people and teaching them things and helping them, you know, get products that can help them achieve their goals. Um, and then kind of while I was here working at the running store, I also worked at um, Under Armour as a full-time women's run specialist in the, in the brand house downtown for about a year and a half and was able to kind of, you know, help out down there and start run clubs, um, which I thought was really fun. And then ended up working out, coming back up to the running store to, uh, to like move up to manager position here. Um, but yeah, I kind of always liked the retail aspect. I think it's fun. I like products and teaching people about the products. And I'm also a buyer here at the running store. So I get to see lines of apparel and footwear all the time. Um, like, a year in advance and I think that's really cool to be able to see all that new technology coming out and you're also a race director for my favorite race to volunteer at not run <laughs> uh the dreaded druid hills 10k so not uh, many people say you... that's their favorite race <laughs> yeah but... so when did you become the director of uh the dreaded druid well I think when the the business was sold when Jim sold the business and um Pete and I kind of gained more control over that race um it's really hard to put on a race by yourself so we kind of just split up the jobs of uh putting that race on i've always kind of helped out with it but but once uh jim sold the business it all became you know pete and i to kind of split up the jobs and put that race on um but we do a couple races a year so we also do a turkey trot and the dreaded Hills. Um, so i guess 
doing them enough, you get used to it. You know exactly the tasks that need to be done and, and what, what time they need to be done in for the race to go off uh, in a nice, timely manner. What do you but, like uh, best about uh, race directing? Oh, I mean, I, I like running races better than race directing them, but at the same time, um, you do you get, do get to see the other side of things. So when I go to races, I understand um, the uh, both sides of what goes on. So, you know, you uh, you don't really put any grief if, if something happens in a in a race that doesn't go out right. You're like, oh, I understand why, and you know, because I've been on that other side of it. But um, I really like the organizing. I'm really big into to planning and organizing, so I like kind of making lists and checking it off and getting things done. Um, interacting with, we have really great volunteers for our race every year and interacting and setting them up with it. And they're just kind of pumped to help out a local race. Um, you know, contacting vendors to come out, um, creating, I guess, the logo design and getting, picking out the, um, the premium that people will get and maybe another little like finisher's gift. Um, there's a lot that goes into putting on a race. I think that people don't realize um, until you actually sit down and are like, okay, what do I need to get done to have this go off um, correctly? Uh, and I must say, uh, despite the fact that everyone loves to complain about the dreaded Druid Hills, because it's tough, because it's hot, you know, and, and, and humid, uh, it really is, you know, one of the races that people look forward to each year. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the T-shirts the and the logos, I was at a group run a couple of weeks ago and I saw the shirt that I was wearing that day was from the race two years ago. I think maybe four or five other people had the same shirt on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the cool designs from those shirts, uh, you know, people seem to enjoy them and, and, you know, you get the same folks back every year. So um, I, I know that uh, your work there doesn't go unappreciated. <laughs> and I'm assuming you'll be running again this year or at least helping out. I'll definitely be helping out. I'm <laughs> definitely going to, you know, run a water stop or, you know, be a course marshal or something. But, yes. Spectating is yeah. also fun for this race. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, you know, when we, we could go through your career uh, and discuss, you know, uh, all your different races, and you know, from marathons to JFK 50, uh, 50 miler to speed goat 50 K or the Miami half marathon and beyond. And, it would be fun to recap, but, uh, and maybe we'll do it at another time, but, um, you know, we could go on all night with that. So I'm going to boil it down just a couple of questions of all the ones that you've run, uh, all the different disciplines, uh, what was your favorite race from your career and, um, and why was it your favorite? So I've been asked this a lot on different applications and, uh, different little interviews I've done. And there's a couple of races that I always kind of alternate with that because I guess it just really depends on <clears throat> like different parts of my life. Like there's a college one is when I ran my last steeplechase race and I was trying to go for the course record and an ECAC qualifier that would move me on to possibly going into nationals. But um, I had the steeplechase race uh, when I broke the school record, I think, that was a very emotional night for me. Um, I was happy and sad, happy I didn't move on, but I'm or happy that I broke the record, but sad that like my career was kind of just ended there and that was all I had. Um, and then kind of the New Jersey, winning the New Jersey marathon was kind of a transition into another memorable um, 
event for me kind of in my mid running career, um, just winning that and having that experience um, that I've heard a lot of people can't say that they won their first marathon. And I'm kind of grateful that I was able to um, achieve something like that. And then the third one was kind of, I haven't really gone back to it, but the JFK 50 miler was a big surprise to um, get third female in that race. And some of the most competitive women from out West come out to that race. And that was kind of a surprise that day that I was able to compete with them um, in my first 50 miler race. And um, I was very surprised that I made a podium with uh, that kind of competition. And although it beat me up for, for about a year or two and it took me a while to get my speed back, I eventually will go back and I think run another 50 miler because I think my talent is kind of showing that I do well in the ultra running. I just don't want to, um, at 31 years old, I don't want to, you know, if I have some speed left, I want to use that before I slow myself down. Um, so those are kind of my three, I went from steeplechase to a marathon to a 50 miler. And those are kind of my three more, more memorable throughout my running career. Um, top finishes, I think. Yeah, you definitely turned some heads with that uh, JFK 50-mile finish, uh, and it sounds like you might have to go back to that one, which actually leads to my next question. Is there a race at which you feel like there's a little bit of unfinished business? Um, Definitely. I don't don't think I'll ever do a 100-miler. I've I've crewed enough for those, and I've seen people coming through, and I just don't think I can do that to my body, whether I'd be good at it or not. I think the 50-miler is just enough, but yeah, I think definitely i i had the goal originally of qualifying for olympic trials um but i feel like with how many women had qualified with a sub 246 already this year i think there's like 340 it's a ridiculous number i i think they're going to lower the 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 time for that for 2024 so I have to decide whether or not I want to go back to the marathon and try to try to go for that Olympic trials qualifier, or I want to go back to the trail racing and just kind of try to race and place well and high up in ultra running. Um, so I have to kind of make the decision, I think in the next couple of years that what I really want to want to do. Um, but um, time will tell, I guess, and my body will kind of decide that I think um, in the next year or so. Yeah. And um, as you're sort of alluding to, you've, um, you know, sort of recently struggled with some injuries that, you know, while you're still among the fastest uh, runners around, you've kind of hampered your ability to train and race at the level that you might like to. So, um, you know, I think I speak for everyone who knows you when I say that we're all rooting for you to recover and return to injury free running. Um, So what's been sort of the greatest challenge for you in, in dealing with these injuries? Well, it's not actually a running injury per se. It was it was from a fall while trail running. I fell on some rocks and kind of messed up my back um, pretty bad and tried to run through it. But at the age I'm at now, I realized that that wasn't really going to happen. And I kind of had to take that time off and go to physical therapy and kind of get everything fixed. And it, the process took a lot longer than I kind of thought it would. And I usually don't take time off or at least in the past, you know, in my past, I've never taken a good chunk of time off. So coming back from that was kind of, I think it's been tough and I think it's taking a lot longer than I thought it would. So uh, I'm hoping eventually everything will kind of go back to normal now that I'm, I'm injury free. It's just 
my body kind of getting back into what it used to know is what I'm waiting on. So we'll see what happens with that. Maybe I am just, maybe it is just time to take a good amount of time off too. So we'll have to see. Yeah. And I mean, you, you have a reputation, you know, in Baltimore and the surrounding region as, you know, one of the top uh, runners. Do you feel like you've, whether self-imposed or externally, that you've been feeling pressure to keep pushing to remain in that top tier races, um, you know, even when you're struggling through the setback? Um, sometimes it's hard because I, I do look a lot at the past, at some of these races that I have won and, you know, you want to come back and, and repeat it again. And in my mind, as much as I want to go back and at least run the race and support it, it, it's a beat down if I go back and don't run as well as I previously did. So at the same time, I just might not show up to some of these races just for me as a mental, um, to help me mentally keep going. Cause I feel like sometimes it just beats me down more and I'd rather, you know, kind of sit in the background and get myself back into better shape so I can come back and compete like I used to. Um, so at the same time, I'd, I'd rather just go out and spectate and cheer and support in that way. Um, if I know I'm not ready to go run the race again yet. Yeah. And that's probably going to do you uh better physically just to be able you know maybe dial back your racing calendar a little bit as you're getting the training back together exactly yep and then kind of go from there so once you feel like you're you're back up to full strength uh you know what sort of running goals do you have uh, for the future i mean is there something you're already looking towards or are you kind of playing it by ear at this point well, like I said, I, pro I, I think I still want to go for the Olympic trials marathon. I just know that I'm going to have to work a lot harder than I had planned to, um, to do that. Uh, at the, at my fastest time, I would have still had nine minutes to shave off, which I think would have been doable. Um, because when I ran my PR, I did have a lot left and I knew I could go a lot faster. Um. But if, if I'm able to get strong again and, and put in the training and get the time to put in the training, I'd, I'd really like to see how fast I could run the marathon in still. Um, everyone's telling me I'm kind of in that age range, the 30 to 35, where most women peak in the marathon distance. So I feel like I should take advantage of that now and then maybe wait on the ultra running um, to kind of enjoy that more later on. Well, this has been an awesome conversation uh, so far, Megan. I appreciate so much of your time. I've just got a few sort of fun cool-down questions here before we wrap it up. Sure. So what's um, one race or running adventure uh, that you've always wanted to do that you know still remains on your to-do list? Hmm. Well, I, I do want to go out west a lot more and do some of the trail running out there. Um, like I've been to Utah and did the speed goat, um, in a couple of weeks, I'll be going out to Colorado to do another trail race. Um, but I'd like to hit up some of the, um, ultra running races that are big out there, not hundred milers per se, but some of the more popular ones that everyone's talking about. I'd like to try to do some of those, um, later on. And then there's a few marathons that I'd like to do. Um, I've already done New York and Boston. But I'd like to do Chicago and maybe Big Sur, some of the other very popular marathons that everyone's talking about all the time. But yeah, other than cool. that, I'm kind of just going with 
you know, if I hear about a race or I'm every year I'm trying to run new races along with some of the older ones that I always do, but just to mix it up and, and give other chances, the other races a chance to check them out. Yeah. That running scene out West, there's, uh, there's just so many fun ones that you hear stories about. Uh, I can see why you'd be drawn to some of those. Now, uh, your sister, Justine is a talented runner as well. Uh, and I know you two have run a lot of races. Let, let's keep it real here, Meg. Do you <laughs> feel like uh, there, you know, you have a little extra motivation to, uh, you know, outkick her at the end in those races, or is it just mutual support out there? Um. So she did re- get in really, really good shape. Uh, she does have a little bit of of other things in her that are more priority right now. She's getting married this fall, so that's kind of on her mind right now. Um. And then after that, I think she wants to start a family. So for running for her has kind of been in the background. Uh, she is going to run the Arbutus 10K uh, with me this 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 week for Fourth of July. Um, but other than that, she hasn't been racing as much anymore. And I, you know, you sometimes miss it because it's always fun to have somebody um, to kind of go out to races with and run and and always think in the back of your head, is she gonna is she gonna catch me in this race or at least she's gonna be right there. Um, cause she has, she also has the talent and I think she, she got down to like breaking 19 in the, the 5k and then, you know, life kind of happens and some people stick with it and some people don't. Um, but I think I can see her definitely later on getting back into it more competitively again at some point. Um, and then we can probably go back to races and show up and go one, two again, like when, like the good old days. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be pretty awesome to be able to, you know, to have kind of a family event there at the top of the podium. So uh, my last cool down question is, uh, is just the gratitude question in running or in life in general. What are you most grateful for right now? Um, Definitely my health that I am healthy again and I'm able to as much as I have ups and downs. Uh, with my running career lately, I'm grateful I'm still able to actually get out there and do it um, and get to run with all these great groups in Baltimore, um, meeting new people all the time at races and events. Um, And for me, I'm grateful that my job, I'm still able to, even when I am injured, I get to still be around it all the time. And I think it helps keep me motivated to keep going and people as much as I inspire people, people are out there inspiring me every day. I see on social media all the time. So um, it's great to have that Baltimore community um, behind me. Yeah, it, it really is special uh, what I'm seeing out there with people just sort of supporting each other. And so I think that's a pretty good place to land it. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on to, to share uh, with us. If people wanted to kind of connect with you in social media or course also uh to learn more about how they could sign up for the dreaded druid hills how could they do that um they can either so my personal uh instagram handle is megd5188 um and if they want to check out some more information you can go to the falls road running store facebook page um and you can sign up on active.com for the dreaded Druid hills 10k race um or you can contact me through falls road as well yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Megan. Uh, I will see you on Thursday at Arbutus, I'm quite sure. So uh, I'm looking forward to that race myself. Oh, great. Well, I'll see you then. Thanks for having me on, Glenn.
Before we wrap up episode 15, I want to thank those who helped to make it possible. Thank you to David Flax, Nick Klostava, Mike Vale, and Buddy Weber for sharing your experiences at your recent races. Thanks to Coach Buddy Weber and TJ Bryan from the Baltimore Roadrunners Club for coming back on to discuss marathon training. If you want to reach out to Buddy directly, you can do so by email at runningcoachbuddy at gmail.com or at runningcoachbud on Twitter. And of course, thank you to Megan D. Gregorio for sharing your running story. Check out Megan's running adventures on Instagram and follow her on Strava. And a very special thank you goes out to the Kelly Bell Band for the use of your music in the podcast. Go to www.kellybellband.com for more information on this incredible uh, band and to find out where they'll be playing. They put on an awesome live show and got a bunch of summer festival shows uh lined up so go out there and see them soon if you can and last but very uh certainly not least i want to thank each and every one of you for your support of the podcast and for telling your friends about it Uh, i'm getting a lot of great feedback as i meet people out there i make this podcast for you and it wouldn't exist without your support so thank you very much we'll be back in a couple weeks with a special episode but until then i hope to see you running around baltimore